0: Welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. Be about it. Well, we're back again. And before we get started on our brief interaction... I'd like to start by doing 10 push-ups. Yeah, 10 push-ups. Right where you're at. No offense if you don't do them with me, but mad props if you are of the mind that your body is still yours and your motivation is still high. If you're interested, please pause the recording briefly until you get it done. One second, please. Okay, that's it. I did mine. Were were you willing to do yours? Were you spontaneous enough, crazy enough, and motivated enough to experience your body for a minute? If you were, cool. If you weren't, no offense, but there's a bigger point here. Wherever we are in our current life, we cannot forget to take care for ourselves and of ourselves. We cannot forget to breathe a little, and let our heart rate rise a little and remember the important things that make us, us. Sometimes we only see ourselves as clearly as others see us. So if that's the case, remember for a moment, those special people who see you well. From the time you were very little, you've had people who have smiled you into smiling, talked you into talking, sung you into singing, and loved you into loving. For just one minute, think about somebody who's helped you along the way. I'm gonna time you. Let's just take some time to think of those extra special people. Some may be right here with you. Some may be far away. Some may even be in heaven. They are deep down inside of you and you know They've always wanted what was best for you. They've always cared for you beyond measure and have always encouraged you to be true to the best within you. If you're judging yourself by any standard, judge yourself by the beautiful standard that they always reminded you to see. Here's hoping we all can see ourselves, be ourselves, and shine like we always knew we could hours is a great life exercise as a concept whether it's walking around your house your block or your city running up and down stairs which you can even do at home or in your office building biking hiking roller skating swimming jumping rope doing yoga at home from a dvd and more there are many different fitness options at your fingertips Before gyms were even a real thing, people got all of their exercise working in their garden, playing sports, spending various time outdoors, or simply lifting soup cans at home in place of of free weights. And this is just a reminder that you can improvise, too. What's more, exercise doesn't have to feel like a chore, especially if it involves something you enjoy doing, which is pretty much the secret to everything in life. If you're looking for some ways to get your sweat on without setting foot in the gym, here are some fun ways to think about working out just for your review. Walking. Walking is a great way to get in a little exercise and it's something you have to do anyway. A power 10 minute workout. If the mere thought of working out fills you with dread, you can actually get it all in within 10 minutes. Check out the Kaizen principle. K-A-I-Z-E-N, which speaks to small improvements at small intervals to improve just about anything. Good old roller skating. Roller skates are back, y'all, and they'll totally transport you back to those childhood skate parties. And roller skating is a super fun way to get an easy, pleasant workout in. Jumping rope. This is one of my favorite things ever to do. It's been labeled the world's best exercise. Jumping rope is not just for kids. Try it again. In a matter of three minutes, you'll know why it's so great. Swimming. Many cities and towns have public pools that offer cost-effective hours for lap swimmers. Exercise in the pool works great as well. If you have access to a pool, swimming is a great way to get a zen, low-impact workout when you want to feel like a fish. Walking your dog. If you have a dog, consider taking your crazy friend out so you both can get in a little bit of exercise. If you don't have a dog, most rescues and shelters rely on volunteers to walk their dogs. Find a shelter near you and ask how you can help. It's a contributory win-win situation. Take the stairs. Worth mentioning again, getting in a workout can be as easy as taking the stairs. If it's safe to do so, opt for the stairs instead of the elevator at your office or apartment. Bike riding or cycling classes. If you haven't been on a bike in so long you can't remember, you're totally missing out. You can throw on your earphones and find a circuit and ride your way back to peace. When you do something you enjoy that also makes you feel good, then you'll win at workouts. The best angle angle from which to approach any problem is the triangle. (laughs) The original working title of one of my recent books, The Master Life, was to be called Manhood Overhaul, originally. Because I wanted to make a definitive point that I had experienced an outstanding metaphor, metamorphosis as a human being, and I owed much of it to being a parent and in many cases, simply being a leader. As I heard broadcaster Mike Mark Jackson say one night during a competitive NBA game, he went in flour and came out cake. I had become the baker of my dreams, and I wanted to share some recipes for success. For all intents and purposes, I wanted to encourage other men to find the best in themselves and climb up, and in some cases, climb out of challenging situations into more effective, enhancing self-development environments and ways of thinking. As I reflect on all of the small hills and figurative large mountains I have climbed, I now realize that my current way of life is a special message for anyone, male, female, young, old, athlete, or sedentary. It's just an idea or a principle or a philosophy or a perspective that says, whatever you set your mind to do, you can do it. This is such an important reality to us human beings. You have to know this as soon as you can and as thoroughly as you can in life. Once you are introduced to yourself, your true self, your effective self, your purposeful self, nothing will ever be the same again. The foregoing flashback story I'm about to share with you is from my own life, pulled from my memories to let you, the reader, know that I didn't start out with clarity and consciousness. I started out with confusion and what seemed like a guardian angel like Jiminy Cricket from the famed Pinocchio story shadowing me and tapping me on the shoulder. Mr. Cricket reminded me of what was good and effective and universally acceptable behavior. He helped me begin to learn the ability to set goals and clear out mental clutter and expect more from myself. Perhaps when it's all said and done, I can be that Jiminy Cricket for you. Franklin High School, Somerset, New Jersey. Sometime in 1974. You may think of this as a strange story but it's completely true. It was March of the year on the East Coast. The weather was slowly starting to break. I still had a pronounced aversion to school. I could hardly wait for June when it would be over for the summer. I skipped more classes than I went to anyway. I just felt that school was an extremely oppressive environment. Home life had been confining enough with my mother yelling and demanding the way she did before I finally left. Now I was back and living with a new man in the house that I didn't trust, who was a terrible image of manhood and fatherhood to me to make it worse. School was like going from the frying pan to the fire. Many times I had even thought about quitting, but my connection to wrestling was eternal. There I was recognized, I was a champion. I couldn't quit on that. Wrestling was my profound saving grace. So I was stuck with this school thing, but I fought it all the way until one afternoon late in March. It had already been a relatively uneventful morning, and I had skipped two of my four morning classes. Students were supposed to report to the auditorium for study hall if they were late to their classes, but I never went. This one afternoon was no exception. It was my last class of the day psychology, as taught by Gene Schiller. Mr. Schiller was also the new and extremely successful football coach. He was a very unique man. I liked him from the first time we met. He had only come to our school the year before, but he was a bona fide hit with the school. He turned the football team around as if by magic. I affectionately called him Gene. He was a quiet but intense man. The football players thought he was the messiah. In my estimation, he was probably the most composed teacher or coach in our school at the time. When I finally left that place, he was the only male teacher that I was sorry I didn't get to know better. There was only one female teacher as well, Mrs. Reese. This particular afternoon, I was meandering around the halls and found myself on the second floor. Jean's class, the one I was supposed to be in, was at the opposite end of the hall from where I was standing. The class was almost over. I don't know why I just didn't go home, but I kept walking toward his corner classroom. I was walking ever so casually, almost strolling. I glanced inside the classrooms I passed along the way noticing how they looked so orderly. I was about halfway down the wide hallway when I felt a strange sensation. Suddenly, I stopped in my tracks. I tilted my head slightly and frowned fiercely. I heard a voice talking to me as if it was aloud. You're ruining your life. I clearly heard the voice speaking directly to me. Get it together. The eerie voice boomed inside my head. I looked down to the floor, then raised my head slowly. I felt overwhelmingly strange. I just stood there, frozen. After a few seconds in limbo, I spoke to myself out loud. Roger, what are you doing, man? Look at you. I whispered to myself man, your life is going nowhere. Look at you. I said again, disgusted. I started shaking my head at a snail slow pace. I was absolutely captured by the moment. A cold rush of wind seemed to whoosh past me. All of a sudden, I felt terrified, like I had done something really wrong and was about to be punished. I was still walking very slowly yet thinking very rapidly, when I noticed that I was standing near Jean's class. I was so entranced that I had to walk past and collect myself. I found myself standing outside the doors and the breezeway landing of the second floor. My brain was simmering. It was as though someone or something had reached inside of me and turned off the switch that controlled my body. I was standing there numb. It seemed like everything I had ever done was played before me. I spoke to myself out loud several more times. I tried to be inconspicuous, and it felt like many eyes were on me anyway, but I was standing there in the corner alone. I imagine I might have looked like a zombie standing there frowning and staring at the wall. Suddenly, my near catatonic state was interrupted by the penetrating sound of the school bell. A swarm of students descended on the doors that led down the stairs. I still had not snapped out of it when I walked into the active hallway. I still had that fierce frown on my face. I continued spacewalking through the stream of passing students. Suddenly, Jean walked to the edge of his classroom and stood there in the doorway. I looked up, frowning, as though I had just heard something familiar but couldn't place it. Jean and I made quiet eye contact. I'm certain that I looked very confused. We both paused for a few seconds. Suddenly, Jean asked quietly, Are you ready now? I simply tilted my head. My eyes widened. How could he know? I thought. Jean looked at me with the tenderest, kindest eyes I had ever seen from a male teacher. So are you ready to get it together now? He asked again. Still not quite sure what was happening, I nodded my head slowly. Yes. Gene turned and went back inside his classroom, and I floated spaced out down the hallway. As long as I live, I will always remember that day as the first major mental turning point of my life. I made my way home that afternoon, but I had changed somehow. No longer could I settle for being completely on the outside of school. No longer could I accept not trying. In spite of all the things that had gone wrong, I suddenly realized that I had the power to make some things right. I knew I could do it now. I didn't know why. I just knew I could. Something had touched me. I will never know what. Starting the very next day, I arrived on time for school and had my arms full of books. I wasn't sure what was going on, but I had to go with it. I got a couple of laughs from my fellow students. Everyone was accustomed to guys like me never carrying books. I endured the first wave of criticism. I knew I had something to do now. There was no turning back. I started staying in school for the entire class period. I was taking notes and started doing homework with a vengeance. My best friend, Lexi, didn't know what to make of it. He never asked, and I never told, but he sure looked at me strangely when he saw me lugging those books around. Nevertheless, I was on a mission. Many things have changed since that day at 15 years old. I had been introduced to my sense of reasoning. I began setting goals and becoming a better version of myself. The process was not without its ups and downs and challenges, but I kept a mission-first attitude about everything I was doing. Every chance I could get, I was staying on point and focused. When you do this, you become a thinker. Later in life, I would refine my skills even further, but I had a beginning. Like Rodin's carving of the well-known statue, the thinker, I became a rock of purpose and introspection. I started to firm up my obligations, my directions, and my goals. When we fast forward to present day, I cannot help but remember all the reminders I offered my sons about values and purpose and having a compass for your life. I assured them based on my own life experiences that if they operated with clarity and order and code, manhood consciousness would be waiting for them when they got there. When you can forge and work and smile and keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, perhaps you can inherit the wind and ultimately become a grown man or grown woman. As the English short story writer and poet Rudyard Kipling so eloquently wrote in his poem, I have read this before, but I am compelled to read it once more. If by Rudyard Kipling. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thought your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap of fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up, with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Accept everything about yourself. I mean everything. You are you, and that is the beginning and the end. No apologies, no regrets. Clark Mustakas. I learned to tell my sons, I love you, even after the challenge of exhausting and intense workouts where everybody at the end of class was dripping with sweat and walking past each other quietly with nothing left to do but stop. That eerie contemplative silence was always in the air at times like this. Everyone exhausted and spent but feeling part of something special and brilliant. It's times like this when one of my students would surely say at some point during the class, I'm dying. And I would always reply aloud with stern retort. You could be dying, but don't be dead. Everyone seemed to hear me and feel me and move through their challenge to the end. My training classes are tough and uncompromising, but my connection and care for my family is not. In spite of all the work all the discipline, all the expectation, I would always deliver the message to keep both ends tied together. I love you, kid. Most importantly, I would back it up with considerate behavior, giving them choices in the matter about topics in their life, and asking for their input even as children. I was sometimes hardest on myself by trying to keep this sense of balance and appropriateness alive. The counterbalance to our hard work and drive toward physical and physiological excellence was to know we were loved and part of something larger than ourselves, but I had to find both ways to say it through action and word, or would they have really known? I always felt that not letting them know from my mouth directly and sincerely was to leave out a piece of the puzzle. Now it's old hat that dad loves us, oh yeah, they have no doubt, and we discuss it like what's for dinner. But I can remember the momentous evening when my oldest son Omar was finishing his five-hour black belt test at 15 years old, and he was not just tired, not just spent, not just exhausted, not just pushed to the max, but dead and done. And all gone. He had given all he could, and his eyes, his body, and his entire countenance showed it. We had done it. We had brought him through the tunnel of darkness with trial and doubt and blood, sweat and tears to his final end and his new beginning. I was his guide, his leader, his sensei. But I was also his father, I could have messed this this job up in 10 different ways, so I was careful and intent and thorough. Still, no guarantee that the kid would not resent me for pushing him, even though I promised I would. Or hate me for keeping the firm regularity of classes and competitions and demonstrations and hard training. Even more that I introduced him to teaching adults as early as age 10 years old, and greeting new customers at the door and thinking in a responsible manner. He learned order and responsibility as well as reviewing school and business paperwork and finances and cleaning the restrooms and opening the doors and locking up and being a leader. So there we were, standing in my back office, transitioning from the hard work on the floor. His uniform had been torn off of him. He had only one shoe on, his hands were hurting, one was bleeding and he was standing still, exhausted. I walked into the room full of contemplation and emotion and super heightened senses as well. This was my son, my baby, my man, my student. We both seemed to spin at exactly the same moment facing each other from opposite sides of the room. The quiet was so loud it enveloped us in the room. As if connected to something universally spiritual and divine, suddenly, Omar's eyes welled up with tears. The tears were so big, they looked like bubbles in his eyes. And he looked silently and piercingly at me. There was still no sound in the room. I continued looking directly back at him. And the silence was gently, honestly, and lovingly broken. Thank you, Dad, he whispered with a strangled and reaching voice of respect and appreciation and history. We grabbed each other gently and purposefully around both our broad shoulders and embraced to seal the deal. The room was still quiet. I will never forget the sense of truth and fulfillment and powerful, genuine love for a human being and divine respect for his purpose. We both stood there quietly with tears and memories and finality. A few moments passed and we broke apart, still staring and still in the moment. You're welcome, son, I offered quietly in a closing whisper. You're welcome, I said again sincerely. The group and the guests and the black, the black belt tasks in general were still waiting for us out on the main floor, and we would return to them now, but we had changed. Omar had found his way to the first rung of his ladder to manhood, and I was convinced that I had done my job to get him there. The moment was very special. So what has all this got to do with anything? It corroborates the fact that I have concluded after many years that communication in any relationship is the tie that binds. It's one thing to hope that you're loved or think that you're loved or conclude this accordingly. It's another entirely to know for sure without second thought or deviation or doubt. Then there is the general responsibility of communication on all fronts and from all ends. After many years of practice, I now take full responsibility as one, the listener, two, the speaker, and three, the mediator, so that I get the highest level of effectiveness from each conversation. I try to make my point as clearly and as succinctly as possible so I am understood. In concert with that, I want to listen as closely as possible so that I am certain to understand what my converser is saying. Finally, sometimes one has to state the point out loud in a form of a question, so one is sure. Let me be clear about this. Is what I hear you saying that you would like pizza and not filet mignon for dinner? Is that true? While many of us are probably pondering this meal choice with a selection of their own, but you get what I mean. My goal was always to communicate effectively with not only my sons and my wife, their mother, but with everyone. And now, before we conclude our episode, I'd like to finish by doing 10 pushups. Yeah, 10 push push-ups, right where you're at. Hold a second. Bravo, ladies and gentlemen, bravo. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want, and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, time.